Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number seven. Since episode number six and number seven are being recorded back to back, I literally have nothing new to update except that I am now proofing Alvin, the story of Ross Bagdasarian Jr., excuse me, Sr., Liberty Records, Format Films, and The Alvin Show, which is scheduled for release in February or March 2019. Today's guest bills himself as a writer at large, having written the books Novel Concept, Halloweenies, and Lost Claws from the Nick Files. For radio, he's written for the American Comedy Network, All-Star Radio Networks, and The Prairie Home Companion. For TV, he's written for The Galaxy Rangers, The Start of Something Big, Where's the Party, and The Joe Franklin Show. How I got to know Dan was as a writer for Crack Magazine, where he was a regular writer from 1997 through the end of the magazine's original run in 2004. Here he is, Dan Fiorella. So hey Dan, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Yourself? Sure, I'm good. I'm fine. Living it up in Oregon. <laughs> oh, I, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I forgot you're on the other side of the country. Yeah. Well, I was in California for a yeah. number of years, but then I moved up here a few years back. Probably the last time we talked, I was in California though. But anyway. Oh right, yeah. The, the, yes, right. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, still here on the Rock in Staten Island. Yeah. So, uh, just catching up and wanted to hear what you're doing. You could, you tout yourself and bill yourself as a writer at large. So, you've written a lot of different things, so I don't know where to start. I know you from Cracked Magazine, but, you know, it's like there's a lot of other things that you've done. So, I don't know, do you want to start how you got into writing in the first place? Were you a good student that way, or did you just kind of luck into it? Oh, it's just... It's it's weird, uh, you know. As a, as a schoolboy, I thought I was going to be a paleontologist. Wow! The fact that I had to go out and learn what the word paleontologist meant, so I could describe people. Yeah, you know, dinosaur bones are all. Yeah, you know, I was fascinated by that stuff. And then somewhere in high school, I started to come across things like oh, the Marx Brothers, <laughs> National Lampoon, uh, Mad Magazine. I had old movies. I was. I grew up with the Abbott and Costello were like unbelievable, and I started to see the stuff. And then all the variety shows that existed back then in the sixties and seventies. And I realized, you know, that stuff is created somehow. And I was just always attracted to it, and I kind of <laughs> assumed, oh wait, maybe you can make a living doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's not the first one of my assumptions. That I- <laughs> <laughs> but it was like so going from I went to a, a Catholic all boys high school it was strictly maths and science and football mm-hmm. and it was in that time I started to realize yeah this is I wanted to do something creative and I remember telling my parents I want to write and they were like okay but you know, what are you going to do in the meantime <laughs> so uh, but they were I mean we'd you know, look around colleges and uh, did the two year thing at the uh the local community college here in New York, uh, to the city uh, community college, where I took a couple of you know, writing classes and then segued to NYU for the second two years, where they didn't even have a writing program huh. back then. Huh. The Tisch thing didn't even exist back then, so I basically majored in uh, cinema studies 
take a minor, assemble the minor in writing out of various different, you know, English lit, uh, uh, journalism writing classes, screenplay writing classes. And uh, from there, it was just a matter of finding a job. And then, you know, <laughs> I took the, I, mean, I still do the nine to five gig. Mm -hmm. I'll just be here a couple of years and then, you know, I'll be whisked away. <laughs> Well, I don't know any writer except maybe Stephen King that doesn't have another job, you know. So, oh, yeah, you know, and, and people, you know, with all my books, people go, "Well, you have a regular job," and I go, "Yes, I like to eat, I like to buy things." So, I mean, if I yeah, really yeah. waited for royalties, you know, it's like I'd starve. So it's like, yeah, yes, yeah. it's, 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 yeah, you have to. And so I got a, you know, a friend of mine got me a job at a brokerage house, and that was my nine to five thing. And you know, the, the, and I wasn't about to put my life on hold either. I knew, you know, I was friends with actors mm -hmm. and performers, and they do a lot of them do put their lives on hold and I was seeing people and I'm like you know I did you know, I, I, I had a girlfriend now my wife from uh, like my last year of high school through college we dated mm -hmm. uh, and I was like hey, I can't really put all my eggs in this basket <laughs> I mean I I'm in Staten Island a very blue collar uh, working community you know old cops and firemen if you, if you don't have a city job you're kind of looked down upon you for, oh we failed somehow <laughs> and uh, so that was beating into me you just don't love running off to Hollywood to do this stuff and I, I, it's not like I knew anybody in the arts or the entertainment but when I got to NYU I was still nosing around still trying to figure out what I was going to how I was going to do it and what was that I, mean, I went to one of the guidance counselors who you know, don't know you from Adam essentially trying to put together a thing and he happened to mention oh well you know I should look into this and he hands me this flyer there's a they were putting together a humor magazine on campus apparently there had been one in the 50s that died out and uh, they were getting it together apparently they have been working on it the year before I showed up and now they were you know having their first meeting so I signed up for that uh, thing was called The Plague hmm. and I just like it was like this is it uh, this is this is what I want to do this is where I want to be and I just like fell into that and that was all my spare time in college was in those offices it's only a group of us we turned this thing out once every uh, was it once a semester I think hmm. we try to get the occasional special thing we, it was, it was, it was. We didn't have the biggest budget, and we we weren't the lampoon, and we knew we couldn't be the lampoon. So we just were the art. All came from all different, all different types of writers. Very absurdist writers. <laughs> Me, I consider myself very middle of the road, you know, kind of jokey thing. I have the cartoonists and whatnot. And for two years, actually, I was gonna say for two years, but for three, because even after I graduated, I kind of hung around a bit. <laughs> which is perhaps a little sad, but that's what they would do. And we, you know, we tried different things and explored different things, and uh, I had a ball. Hmm. And they just tried to keep that going through it. And as a freelancer, you got to kind of take anything that you can grab hold of. Right. So, so many of them are dead ends and whatnot, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but when you were planning your writing career, was that the direction you wanted to go as humor magazines, or is it more scripts for television or anything? <laughs> well, I 
mean, in my in my mind, it was like I had two two routes. I was gonna I was either gonna write comedy movies uh-huh. or sketch comedy for TV. Those were like my only two things. Right. And I would bounce back and forth between the two, and occasionally I would stumble across something else. I mean, just. Uh, just oddball things, just when there was nothing happening. Because, you, you, you know, you write the scripts, yeah. you send them out, you get the rejections, you repackage them. And back then, you know, you're actually physically mailing things. Right. Envelopes, stamps, or return envelopes, so you get the thing back, because you've only had so many copies back then. <laughs> and uh, just, yeah, you know, rejection letter after rejection letter, trying to get an agent, trying to do this, trying to do that. <laughs> and two weird things happened. Uh... And friends, you know, then I got involved with uh, little theater groups and uh, workshops and whatnot, and they kind of keep the fires lit, because you're in a community of uh, fellow writers and actors. Uh, I remember going, there was one thing up on 57th Street, the guy had a storefront theater, and we'd go there once a week and (laughs) basically cold read each other's work and critique it. I fell with another group from that. Uh, From that group, I met somebody... I got involved with a comedy troupe in New Jersey, <laughs> uh, styled that substance. They were uh, they worked out of a theater that was owned by uh, Olympia Dukakis. <laughs> Just when she was starting to hit her stride, the Oscar nominations, yeah. everything she had she had created this little community theater out there in uh, uh, Montclair, Montclair, New Jersey. Uh-huh. And when the theater was dark, she let uh, her just uh, artistic director take it over for the dark nights and he could run a, a, just doing a sketch comedy show and we went back and forth and I was writing then I started writing for them huh. uh, you know, well, coming out of college I wrote for various little groups around the city and, and get it to it go up I mean just just went wherever it is what, uh, one weird thing I guess kind of segue to where we're headed <laughs> uh, Mad Magazine read an ad a want uh, 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 an ad in I think it was the Times Classified Times or the Village Voice, huh. New York Times or the Village Voice, looking for writers. When, when was this? Um, oh, this is I want to say when they graduated seventy nine to so oh, wow. eighty. Okay. It was like so. I'm like, all right. So I, I again, I hadn't read it. I read it on and off. I wasn't. <laughs> We weren't big on subscribing to a lot of things, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, working claim I had two jobs and all that, so you didn't have money to throw around on, on things like that. So I occasionally would read a Mad magazine, mm-hmm. and I put together a series of uh, gags for them, and they bought one. Mm. And uh, Don Martin drew it up. It's called uh, "One Fine Morning at the State Prison." And I was like, oh my God. I mean, first time out of the box, who does this? <laughs> and then proceeded, then proceeded never to sell anything to Mad Magazine again. <laughs> like, then I submit. Sometimes I get a nice little handwritten note that said, like, almost. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I'm used to and that. And I kind of <laughs> yeah. So, oh, gee, so close. Don't tell me that. <laughs> or we've already but done this so, idea. Or, you know. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, then. That, then well, that was the thing. Then suddenly I started getting the form rejection. Yeah, yeah. I got very insulted, and I wrote them a nasty letter. Oh, this is like, okay, for you kids out there, do not, do not write nasty <laughs> <laughs> of where you're submitting things to. They, they don't, they don't appreciate it. Yeah. The, 
who was the editor back then? Nick, uh... Well, it was Nick Meglin and John Ficarra after Feldstein retired. John Ficarra. So. Okay. All right, yeah, okay. John Ficarra. He was still... All right, I'm mixing the two names up. And I sent the letter. I'm very confused by you sending me this former general letter. I thought we had a relationship. I mean, uh-huh. I'd sold one. I'd gotten handwritten notes about it. Mm-hmm. And they wrote, oh, they reamed me Ooh. the letter. <laughs> wow. Very unprofessional. I don't think you should. Don't waste our time ever sending us material again. Wow. Like, ugh. Mm. Ew, that, that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that kind of, that, so that kind of ship was off bounds for a while. Wow. <laughs> I don't have a story yeah, like that, but, you know, I, I had my, you know, kind of grumpiness about MAD. I'm considering submitting again now that Morrison is in there, but I'm kind of nervous because, you know, he's a friend of mine. Well, it's I like, mean, <laughs> frankly, well, that's good because, frankly, I mean, you know, push comes in, they don't remember, they don't know who I am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they read that letter, they got a MAD, they had their lady grab, and yeah. for a while I submitted under an alias because I'm an idiot. <laughs> Uh, and then finally someone you know, mentioned to me, oh, what about Cracked? Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, is that still around? Yeah. <laughs> Which is horrible. But I looked at, I, you know, I found, you know, I found it, and it, you know, it was relatively available. And I'm looking, oh, yeah, this is very much, I repackaged a lot of the stuff I'd sent to Mad. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, re- you know it was because, you know, humor is humor. It wasn't like anything was so specific that you could... And uh, sent it out, and who was uh, that? Was uh, Andy Simmons? Yeah, and Lou Silverstone. Well, he was. Yeah. Yes, I never dealt with Lou so much, but huh. Andy was like, he, he, yeah. I send it out, and he calls me up. Oh, uh, yeah, we received your packet, and uh, we like a couple of the ideas there. We'd like to, uh, we'd like to buy them. <laughs> and I'm like, sure. <laughs> and. Uh, that began the, the relationship. I was there. They were like, oh, sure, you know, send over whatever you got. So, you know, between recycling older stuff or, you know, rework, you know, I write skits, they don't go anywhere, so I would reformat it to a, into a, a, a thing for them, into a magazine-style graphic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, I'd mail it to them again. So this is still, you know, snail mail, you know, actual physical mail. And I was very lucky that either they were desperate for material, <laughs> or yeah, I can't quite put my finger on what happened, but I, I had a very nice, long relationship with them. Well, they did go and, through a lot uh, of writers in the 90s, not saying anything badly about it, but they just did, so, you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know, it's not, I don't think they had, you know, they didn't have, writer-wise, I don't think they really had, like, a staff a usual gang of idiots yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. It was just people. I think they were grabbing freelance from everybody. I mean, the long-term and, uh, ones were like George Gladder and John Catalano, who I don't even know were still around when you were writing there. I, I, you know, I have to look at my notes, but uh, yeah. so they would always kind of give. But you were there a decent amount of time, and probably would have been longer if the magazine didn't fold. Weren't you there almost to the end? I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I was there to the bitter end. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, well, you know, again, they they paid diddly, yeah, uh, yeah, and again, again, it, it wasn't, it wasn't my main source of income, so I wasn't like, and this is, and this is like both just the the truth and a failing. I just wasn't hungry, hungry, because you know, <laughs> I knew it was, you know, this is nice and great. We could certainly use the extra cash, and I, I did consider it my, you know, second job. I mean, everybody. 
growing up, everybody you knew always had a, with the moonlighting somewhere, had a second job to uh, make ends meet. Mm-hmm. So I considered this my second job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I just hit, I just, Andy Simmons liked my stuff. Uh, I would send them there. Usually uh, every packet of thing, I would, they would like at least one thing. I never, I don't think I've ever, I don't recall ever having one like flat out rejection. You know, I usually send three or four things at once. You don't want to send them one at a time. Right. And I generally get one, one would get in there and they assign it to the artist. I mean, meanwhile, the, the artwork the team they had was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky that I had, you know, some of the stuff they, they just how they took what you write in words and then just turn into graphics was remarkable. That, now, did you ever get to select the artist, or they always told you who was going to draw it? No, they, they just they just assigned it. They would oh. buy it from me, and they would assign it. I would never presume to uh, tell them. Well, this goes in, this goes into something that's very odd with freelancing in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you be, you're part of something, and yet you're apart from it. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, because. And, I've uh, written some comic book scripts, and I've never had any say-so on who I wanted the artist. They've always been told to me. Usually they've been good choices, but it's like, wow, I wouldn't have selected that person, you know, without some research. But anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, plus, and again, this goes back to me. I, mean, I wasn't hungry. I, I, I very, you know, as a freelance, you know, you're kind of in your own world. I didn't... I mean, frankly, I probably couldn't tell you one artist's name from another. Yeah, I recognize the different styles or everything, but I didn't. You know, like the way people follow baseball teams and they rattle off the statistics, and mm-hmm. I just essentially am a lazy person and never <laughs> knew. I, I knew I I had my obsessions, old movies I could do, and the comedy skits and performers I could do, but something about that I just never quite latched on. I mean, to this day, I still have to stop and try think. And, and earlier today, I was like, what was his name? Oh, Simmons, Simmons, Andy Simmons. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> things easily glide through my brain. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was something. And again, I, I'm sitting in my, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm writing, quote unquote, air quotes, uh, <laughs> writing for Cracked, but I'm sending stuff in the mail. They see it, they mail a check back. I'm not meeting with the people. Mm-hmm. I'm not at an office. There's, no, there's none of that office, Mary Tylenol office camaraderie that right. you see. Did you, ever go, did you ever go in the office the entire time you worked there? Or twice. Is it always, oh. No, no, twice. twice he, 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 I think uh, Andy recognized that to an extent. <laughs> and he tried a couple of times to... to, to he wanted to meet people face-to-face. One time he invited me up to, for lunch, uh-huh. which was very lovely. Yeah, got to, got to see the offices, and it's just the offices like these really overrun, sloppy offices that were inside another company because the, the publisher also owned the bridal magazine. Right. <laughs> uh, they were kind of like an off, <laughs> off the corner from them. Mm. Like, you go through the bridal thing, and then there's their cubby hole with a couple of different <laughs> offices. And I met, uh, I met, that's one time I met Lou. I met Andy Simmons, and I met his his number two, and I'm blanking out on his name now. It was like the art director. Mm. Who was it? Was it Cliff Mott? Say again? Cliff Mott? No, okay. no. Oh, I, I'm, this is why. This is what I get. <laughs> 
Hmm. Uh, I'd have to look yeah, it up. Man, <laughs> was he like his uh, assistant editor? Anyway, I can get the books while we're talking, but anyway. <laughs> <coughs> um... So what were like you said it was very small the offices did they was it like you know I I always hear weird horror stories about cracked it's like one time they're side by side with a porno magazine uh other times it wasn't even an office it was just a, a mail drop you know and it's like different things you know, well, yeah I mean you know, the bulk of the, yeah bulk of everybody's life is you know they were mailing it to wherever the offices were the offices were yeah was, you know there's things up on the walls it was messy and papers and <laughs> stuff on the wall you knew it was creative people worked here but uh, but it, it, you know, it, it wasn't like you know, were walking to some sort of fun house. Everyone's crazy and having a great time. <laughs> well, you kind of get the impression when, like, you know, Mad was covered on sixty minutes, and of course they made it sound like a laugh a minute. It probably wasn't in normal times, but you know, when you're a kid and you see oh, this, yeah, yeah, no. you know, it's like well, you said. even the Simpsons. Even the Simpsons did a gag like that. We're like, oh, go to Mad Magazine. The show. It's like wacky Wonderland. And <laughs> pies are running, being thrown all over the place. And yeah, no, it's not like that. <laughs> it was just a bunch of guys thinking, trying to come up with funny stuff. Right. Uh, we they took me out to lunch and we were talking. At this point, I, I had uh, two girls. I had all three kids. Uh, one was very young. Two were like in uh, junior high. And I would you know, talk about my stuff. And out of that, came one, I think one of the stronger. Sorry. <laughs> out of that luncheon, when we were talking, we got to talk about braces and kids and everything. And they were like, "Oh, why don't you do something on that?" And I was like, "What? <laughs> yeah, braces. Do a, like the history of braces." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, sure." <laughs> and I did it. I mean, and it came out great. Uh, I submitted it, wrote it up. I guess it was one of those deals, you know, they paid you by page. Yeah. Not how much, not how many pages you submitted, but how many pages it would appear in the magazine. <laughs> and they squeezed the whole thing into three pages. Maybe it should have been four. So it was <laughs> very cramped and compact. So like, oh, they were just, they, but they, it, just, it was just amazing. That, that <laughs> thing came out of one. Uh, you know, it would give you feedback. There was one thing I did, uh, uh, Uncle's Guide to Magic. Hmm. Your Uncle's Guide to Magic. Uh, and I submitted that, and they were like, well, yeah, well, this is good, but could you do a little more? And they push you in certain directions. And uh, and that came out wonderful. Again, the artwork. Was that Severin? I think that was. Hmm. And he just created this uncle character that was just so perfect. It was after those, they had those uh, TV specials, The Unknown Magician, and he was exposing the tricks. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the premise was the unknown uncle is exposing, you know, the, pulling the quarter out of his ear bed or making the blue <laughs> back, you know, all those, you know, typical uncle uh, little magic tricks. <laughs> and that one, and that that got the full thing. That that wasn't overwritten like the way the braces thing was. So it, it looked great on it. I think it was three pages as well. <laughs> and, and it looked tremendous, tremendous. And it's like, oh, it's just so remarkable to see your words <laughs> just translate out to, 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 to come to life like that. Uh, another time, yeah, the only other time I remember being up there, again, it was like one of these things they were trying, I think it was trying to get a sense of camaraderie, trying to get... Uh, a family, uh, you know, yeah. uh, together, make a staff. So he called in a lot of the freelancers that lived in the New York area, 
and had a meeting, an actual in a conference room and everything. And we started just spitballing. He was trying to see if we could resurrect some of the uh, running gags and characters they had done in the past, which I didn't even know existed because they had long since ceased to be a part of the magazine. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, they did stop a lot of those during those years, but... <laughs> Yeah, so it was like, uh, I think I picked up my offer to try to do some of the, uh, oh, the two, uh, the prisoners, Hood oh. and Deanie. Yeah, Hood and Deanie. <laughs> Hood and Deanie, yeah. yeah. It took me a while to realize, oh, wait, Houdini, they're yeah, escaping, there I get it. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I did some of that, and I, I, the other thing I remember that came out of that meeting, so this is like 90... 99, some early 99, maybe 98. Yeah. 2000, Y2K is coming up. And they had an idea for a thing, and I'm just like so disappointed in it. It never happened. It's like, what if we print the magazine and we start it normal, and this would be whatever, how the, the January 2000 magazine, mm-hmm. and a couple of pages into it, the Y2K bug kicks in, and suddenly everything from that point beyond is uh, 1900. <laughs> January 90. Everything gets flipped back because of the Y2K bug. Right. 100 years. <laughs> uh, and I thought it was wonderful. I remember writing up uh, something, a Sears catalog parody. Like, who's going to do a Sears catalog? But I was like, when else are you going to get to make fun of your right. washing <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But I, it just—I don't know if it, I don't know why actually, but it just never came to huh. came to pass. But I, but that was the one time it was like trying to hand up and trying to get people to see if we could come up with the original things. At that point, I, I'm not, not that I'm the most observant person, but I tried to do a. Uh, I had I had developed my own thing. It was uh, the upside downside, mm-hmm. and but it never quite as a segment because I would submit it and sometimes it would be nice two-page thing upside down side other times they'd squeeze it into like the opening where they would do like little little smaller gags hmm. so they never took it as a uh, oh yeah well here's, here's something we could do on a time to time basis upside down side of stuff hmm. so I would keep writing them and they would often print them but it was never like the idea like oh we, we have this thing that we're going to come back to it was just like each time you saw it you're seeing it for the first time mm-hmm. that was a little disconcerting that, that never like became a thing now on the Y2K thing was that about the same time and maybe this was the cause of it that the transition happened where it was going from Andy and Lou to Dick Culpa and they're moving to Florida and everything or oh yes that's right yeah the timeline would be that and that might have been right. why it was canceled. That, I, that's just a thought. I don't know, you know. Yeah, no, no, no. I, yeah, I don't know the, you know, I don't know the exact timetable when things happen. But because that's so that's two thousand, two thousand and one at hmm. the end of that. So it must have been happening in that in that era. Yeah. Because in two thousand and one, everything had moved down to Florida. Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't affect me. I'm just mailing it to a different address now. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, it's still crack magazine, but yeah, before before everything fell apart, they like gave them like an issue or two before they started messing with his head. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, <Opa>. Yeah, <laughs> and there, so what happened? So then, right at two thousand one, nine uh, eleven happens. Then a 
immediately afterward was the anthrax right. mailing. And one went to the America Media offices down in Florida. So uh, that was, uh, yeah, so to, from 2000 to 2001, that would have been a trans. Yeah, I guess the magazine was looking to sell at that point. I know, uh, what was it, the American media wanted to buy the the, the wedding magazine mm-hmm. from uh, them, and it was sort of like kind of, they kind of wound up stuck with Cracked in the process. I <laughs> uh, didn't want to do it. Like, all right, you can buy the wedding magazine, but you got to take Cracked, too. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> But they did. It seems like everybody's like, oh, we have to take crack? Okay, fine. (laughs) Really? Is that a thing still? (laughs) But, I mean, I was always told the magazine lasted, I mean, despite everything else, and all the the other uh, imitators of man, that some, because of the company Cracked was involved with, they had the most remarkable distribution system out there. They cracked could sell because it was everywhere. Yeah. And that that's what I always say, you know, like you know, newsstands, uh, supermarkets, because of its tie with the, the publisher that did the wedding magazines and such, it just uh, was a Globe magazine too. It was Globe they and they own all the other ones like Inquirer and all those other ones eventually. Well that's what American Media well American Media owned yeah, the Inquirer and the Weekly World News. Okay. I think they were gunning for the Wedding Magazine and the Globe. Yeah. The guy, so they got that. They get, but at that, but the problem was once they sold them to American Media, they lost the distribution thing. Right. So which, which seems time, weird. Which seems weird to me. I don't. That part I don't quite get. But you know, it it happened. You know, that's the only thing I know. Yeah. No. It, well, that's where the Dick Couple comes in. Apparently, he was working at American Media. Yeah. And he heard that uh, Cracked was was involved somehow, and he basically talked them into, to, yes, yes, by all means, get Cracked, and I would like to run it if I could. Yeah. He was, yeah, he, that was his thing. And uh, so at that point, uh, yeah, as I say, we did the new mailing place, Dick tried to, uh, he did, tried to do a lot of things, uh, online meetings, uh, uh, conference calls with writers. He tried. He did try to keep, keep it going and try to keep the people connected, mm-hmm. but the, the sands were just shifting out from under him. The, the, the company gave him no support. Yeah, yeah. It was literally one issue. I probably referred to this back in the book, uh, which was like a charity issue. He was begging us, could you give me something? Yeah. Yeah, again, I didn't not that I wrote up anything new, but I had some stuff that had I never submitted. So I said, "Yeah, what the heck? Yeah. What's it going to do? Sit on my hard drive? Where else am I going to send?" <laughs> now, and, did you, uh, did you have trouble getting paid during those years? I've heard different horror stories, so it's like, it's... Uh, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I no, he was he was pretty. I mean, we got our our fees were cut. Yeah. But I did, yeah, again, I think that's more the artists who had trouble, because A, they were making more money than us, Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were, and they were getting they were get, getting paid at a higher rate, they were getting paid at a higher per page rate, so, you know, we took a cut, hmm. but I never had them, uh, yeah, I never felt like, oh, I had to check or trace them down for the money or keep calling them and begging them. 
That's true. Yeah, I, I think it is I, I, artists I that were complaining. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I won't yeah, name names, but yeah. And, <laughs> and, no, no, I, well, yeah, uh, with a reason, you know, I, mm. I, nah, to me, it's, it's, it's going to sound stupid, to me, the artwork could be infinitely harder than the writing. Uh, it's just sometimes, I don't know, just, <laughs> when I'm in the groove, it doesn't feel like work at all. Yeah. So the idea that I'm getting paid for it feels kind of a cheat sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and but yeah, you know, an artist, you gotta sit there and ink it and line it and then letter it. It's like that's crazy. <laughs> that that's work. Me sitting down a typewriter and knocking out a three page thing of yeah. goofy gags. <laughs> I could do that standing on my head. Yeah. I get paid? <laughs> yes, sir. We well, you sound very similar to me when it comes to writing. I originally wanted to be just an artist. I wanted to have a comic strip and everything like that. Never once oh. considered writing. And even though I was a decent writer, but I hated writing in school, but I realized what I hated writing for. I don't know if you had this situation, but I never liked writing when somebody told me, write about this book. And it's like, I don't want to write about this book. I didn't like that book, you know? <laughs> Do I have to write about it now? No, I hated that. Yeah, I <laughs> so I didn't but think I was a writer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Because you didn't, you, you're, not fine, you're not writing from within. Yeah. I mean, that book reports and all, there, there were a couple of times, not that I was a rebel at all. I was just like, basically, I'm still an introvert, mm-hmm. and I'm I, I never the class clown or nothing like that. I, I, never, you know, was, I, I knew I could be funny, but I never to the point where I get on stage and perform. Although I am, can be a bit of a ham at you know family functions yeah, or I'm similar, certain yeah. things I <laughs> yeah, you, you sometimes when you feel like it's like oh yeah I can I can do goof around or something, yeah. but I was never like that. But two times, the the, the oh, a couple of times the comedy thing, I, I guess I I knew it was working that I was different from like the standard kid. You know, uh, school they did it like a school assembly, and I you know, oh write scenes, and I would I wrote a comedic scene, <laughs> and we did it up on the, at the school assembly, and that it really went well. Essentially, I was ripping off a Bob Newhart bit. <laughs> As a kid, I knew a Bob Newhart. I'd seen him on, you know, whatever variety show. Right. And I basically transcribed the thing from memory. And first, me and my siblings and some of the neighbors, because we put a show on in the basement. <laughs> and one of my sister's teachers came to the show and was like, oh, that was wonderful. Would you do that at our school? And we did it at the public school up the, in the neighborhood. <laughs> So you like, and that's it is. I mean, even though I'm not the performer guy, but to yeah. get laughs in front yeah. of a thing, it's, it's pretty amazing. Do you remember which Newhart one it was? The cigarette or the? It was uh, the driving instructor. Oh, that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only I, I wrote it as a two man piece. So it was the driving instructor and the, and the person. So they actually had to write, rewrite it to to, to, to do the dialogue. Because hmm. I'm ripping up Bob Newhart, but at the same time, I am such a fan of Abbott Costello. But I liked patter. I liked <laughs> patter. Hmm. So I mer- merged the two into that. Uh, so I did that. Uh, one time we had to do a recite. Uh, uh, I'm going to blank on the word. You get up and you have to recite something. It was for a uh, you know, speech class. And this one gets up and they're doing uh, a Casey at the bat. And this one is doing uh, the Wonderland, take me down to the sea, and they're all doing these old of uh, the, the mighty blacksmith. I get up because I, I, I did it. And I said, "I'm going to do this." I did uh, the 
Fat Albert story from Bill Cosby Wonderfulness. <laughs> that was that was my thing. I mean, hmm. I'm not sure the teacher liked it, but I was like, I'm not going to learn Google. I'm going to learn Bill Cosby's uh, monologue about Fat Albert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so there was always that off thing. And then what? What I, I think what really triggered it? You go, oh, this is like circling back about the writing. There was an English teacher. My, <clears throat> <clears throat> assigned us uh, the English assigned us the book Catch 22 <laughs> I read that book and I was like it, it just it blew me away I couldn't believe this was like absurdity comedy uh, shtick it was everything in one book and I'm like and then this is the book that the school assigned us to read so this must count as an important piece of fiction here and when I wrote the book report, I somehow, I, I, I channeled the the, the, uh, the the spirit of the book in my book report and wrote the, uh, a flat-out comedic book report. It was like, oh, this, it felt really good. <laughs> I even remember the one line I remember out of the whole thing. I just remember that. Uh, was it, uh, talk about Usarian trying to defeat, you know, beat the army. And my, my line was something like, uh, how did the Sarin ever expect to beat the U.S. Army? The Nazis couldn't do it. What chance did he stand? And uh, the, the ability to put that phrase together, take, uh, it was just like, I was like, oh, it was like a scary superpower I had all of a sudden. <laughs> and at that point, Don, that's when the, I think the writing book really took hold at that point. Wow. <laughs> So uh, I'm looking, I looked at your website, and you've written for, like, radio and for television and books. So was there any order to this? I mean, there's no dates really on your resume, as it were, on the website. So uh, Uh, were you doing everything kind of at the same time overlapping, or have you kind of done different fields for time and then moved on? No, there was... There was never any rhyme or reason to this stuff. It was like whatever came up, if I could do it, I would do it. Uh, I want to see if I have my... Uh, things overlapped. Yeah. Uh, well, I could just ask you about things, and then you could tell me about it. You know, it's like, because oh, I was, yeah, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm curious. So, you know, the ones that I kind of pointed out on the... Uh, I did a little intro already, so it's already recorded, but, you know, I mentioned these things. So you, there's a cartoon show called The Galaxy Rangers. How did you get involved in that? <laughs> this, this is so underwhelming, this story. Oh, <laughs> all right, next it, story. No. <laughs> You're seeing ads for everything, wow. (laughs) I expect it was like this ad, looking for writers, uh, I forget if he described it, uh, you know, sci-fi, cartoon show, I forget how much was in the ad, and again, I was like, not, so this is, I think we started writing 85, so it was like 84, I answer the ad, uh, I get a response, yes, please come to such and such, and, uh, I go there to this office, again, an underwhelming office in Chinatown, hmm. above, uh, you know, oh, let's say a laundry. And I go up there and uh, meet, the, meet the guy who's running it, uh, Robert Mandel, and he's explaining the, uh, the he's explaining the, uh, the premise of the, of the 
show, and it's, it's sci-fi. Now, I am not a sci-fi person. <laughs> I just say I'm a I, I, I call him a comedy guy, uh-huh. and uh, and he's explaining, oh yes, yeah, so this this and these people and magic crystals and uh, hyperdrive, and they travel all the different units, the evil the evil villain queen, and uh, and I'm like, oh boy, I mean, it's so over my head, it's so over my head. <laughs> <laughs> then he. Uh, he pulls out, shows me the print artwork. He shows me the different characters. Oh, and here's the uh, wizard character. Uh, I have to get on the blank ass name now. The wizard character. And here's his assistant, Larry. <laughs> and I'm like, Larry? <laughs> why, why Larry? <laughs> you know, why not? And at that point, I was like, oh, okay, he's, he's not. I can do this. I was like, I can. D- if he's got a sense of humor about it, <laughs> I can do this yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then I got uh, so I went in uh, in fact I had a friend of mine who was way more into fantasy and that kind of stuff brought him in because uh, I sent as, as and he knew I wasn't a sci-fi guy because what I had submitted was uh, something me and my friend had written in college it was a radio show we thought we were going to do it on the college radio station uh, called Captain Useless it was a comedy it was a parody mm. of uh, superheroes so I said, well, that's just kind of fantasy science fiction. And I sent that in. But it's flat-out comedy. So when he called me in, at least I had that in my mind. Well, he knows what I do. It's not like I try to fake some fancy-schmancy uh, sci-fi uh, 2001 Space Odyssey right. adventure. <laughs> so he was, he was open to my comedy. I was willing to, like, work out with his his realm, his fantasy realm. Mm-hmm. And I got to do a couple of scripts for him. Then I co-wrote a couple of scripts with my friend who I brought in. He wrote a bunch of scripts for it. Mm-hmm. And that lasted for a year. He, well, even less than a year, because we had to churn these things out. Right. They had the air date all set in uh, 86, fall of 86. Mm-hmm. And we had like six months. He had, he had six months to put together 64 shows. Oh, boy. So he, that's why there was an ad in the paper. He just needed volume. Hmm. He got as many writers as he could. That's why he was so open to me. I, I recommended my friend, John Rollins, and uh, another uh, friend who did one, uh, George, uh, George uh, Lance Strait, mm-hmm. who's a professor at Fordham now, I believe. <laughs> and, uh, we, you know, they would just, like, take and They would look, examine it. They would send you back. And that, then I was getting edited. Then I learned about rewriting, really. Mm. And uh, so that went on. Uh, that overlapped. I did a, 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 a oh goodness gracious. Uh, yeah, that was eighty eighty six. Do, do you remember the uh, animation? Do you remember the animation huh? studio? I mean, it sounds like Deke, but I don't remember. It's like uh, no, I, no, no. It was the TMI. TMI. Oh, hmm. <laughs> That I, I mean, because again, I was just where Robert Mandel Productions. Okay. They shipped. That was the thing. It was all, it was all written in New York. Mm. Characters were all designed in New York, and then they shipped everything to the animation studio in Japan. Okay. They would then they would an, animate it there, mm-hmm. and when the animation was finished, mm-hmm. they would put in the voices, mm. which is which is backwards. Right. Right. <laughs> So that the one time I, you know, I got to go up there once in a while, go up to their offices, and we he like showed us around once. They had a little recording studio inside, 
Yeah, we saw one of the actors like doing it. They would run the thing to him. So it's like dubbing. Yeah. Because you kind of have to match to how the lips are moving. They had the script, but they animated it, but it's as opposed to they weren't animating to the voice. Hmm. But uh, they had names. I mean, they're, they're, you know, uh, oh, let's see, I'm going to blank on his name. Uh, did Lemire, he, he was the head ranger, was, uh, he was on Law and Order, he was in uh, Lemire and Beauty and the Beast, and I'm blanking on his Oh, brain. oh, 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 um, um, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Once you said Law and Order, yeah, uh, and he's passed away since, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my brain is like a sieve. Yeah, mine is too. When uh, it, when you know, and I know I can look it up, but I can't do it while I'm doing a recording here. So it'll come yeah, to no, me let probably. Me see if I can, I, I sat down by the computer for just such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fictional character. It doesn't say. Jerry Orbach. Yes, Jerry yes. Orbach. Thank you. Somebody can look it up because see, I can't do it because I'm on my phone and I have a recorder <laughs> and I'm sitting here and I go if uh, if I look up something, it'll screw up the recording and the phone or both uh, or something. Yeah. So understood. Understood. Yes, Jerry Orbach. Yes. <laughs> Never got to meet. Well, got to meet him years later. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, he was he was like the big name of the group. I, I yeah. really don't know. You said you were going. You were doing some other project at the same time, or around this, right after, or something. You were, and then I interrupted you. Uh, I'm trying to remember now because cracked, cracked went for all right from that. So that's so that's yeah, that's '86. Yeah, cracked was it? Well, cracked was later. Cracked, I know, is '97 to 2004. That one I looked up. Okay. So, so. Oh, all right. Okay. So, uh, uh, I sold the script to Hollywood. Uh -huh. And that was the oh, shoot, that's uh, eighty. Well, I can tell you the other shows uh, you no, mentioned. I, I can tell you the other oh, shows yeah, you, you mentioned. Can tell yeah. Me. yeah, the the two. I didn't write down everything you posted, but I mean, I figured the ones that I kind of know. Um, uh, I remember a show, and so I guess you wrote for it. Uh, Steve Allen wrote the theme song. It was the start of something big. Yes. Okay. That. Yeah. That was. That was like my. All right. That's early. That's like one of my first jobs at a college. Okay. I knew. I knew the author of this, these series of books. And again, I'm going to blank on his name. Oh, I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm a horrible. <laughs> these are very nice people who were very nice to me, <laughs> and I can't remember. They're not listening. Name. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true. All nice, wonderful people. There, that gets you off the hook. Okay, so. <laughs> but and he had written a series of books, um, fascinating books. Uh, oh, I might have them on my bookshelf here. Uh, the origins of the beginnings of things, the origins of things, famous last words. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he had written for, he was a writer for Newsweek magazine when that actually meant something. Mm. <laughs> Science editor. He had written novels all too, but he got very much on these uh, the reality, making the nonfiction stuff. And I got to meet him. My brother knew him. Uh, introduced. Oh yeah, my brother's a writer. Maybe you'd like to meet him. And we met. We you know, stayed in touch slightly. It wasn't uh, like the best buds and hang. 
hang out and stuff. And uh, then he gets the gig. They they come up with the idea they want to do a companion piece for uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so they come up with the show to start of something big. And they were going to mix, you know, the origins of, of things, everyday things that we know, and then the origins of celebrities. Yeah. So they then, you know, the, the idea worked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the first show I remember was Bob Hope. So they kind of looked at his beginnings and where, how his career started. And then they decided the host was Steve Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the man had written, he claims to have written like a, a thousand songs, and yet nobody can name a second one. <laughs> uh, well, I knew he wrote that one, so. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows he wrote that one. Yeah. But it's, uh, several comedians point to when he would brag about it. Yeah, well, what's, the, what's another one? Quick, name a second song. <laughs> and, but the, the title fit with the idea of the show, so he got money for <laughs> giving him the rights to this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the author friend, uh, Charles Panetti. Oh, there it is, Charles Panetti. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked, oh, would you like, they wanted to write these little uh, uh, bookends as they go in and out of commercials. The factual everyday stuff. Oh, the origins of potato chips, the origins of the, naked, uh, the Olympics and how they began as naked things. And uh, do you want to write that? I was like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. A paragraph. You know, these things had to be like 30, 45 seconds, a minute tops. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they picked out the ones that they tossed it to. And I looked up the stuff based on the book they gave it. And I would write them up. And uh, again, it could be very jokey. It's Steve Allen. You know, so I'm throwing in puns, doing things. It's what he's talking about, the uh, potato chip the origin of the potato chip and I ended where he's like saluting the man who invented he holds up a potato and gets to say this spuds for you <laughs> boom he grimaces even it was such a bad pun <laughs> but but you know Steve Allen wasn't exactly <laughs> Mr. Highfalutin comedy oh, himself I know <laughs> so uh, so that was good I was lucky I got to meet him years later and actually I, I saved the copy from the TV guy to the ad for that show and I got him to autograph it hmm. And uh, with Jerry Orbach, I met him years later, and I had a the wow. Uh, oh, uh, they used to be a fast food chain. It's still around in some places. Roy Rogers. Roy oh yeah. Speed. yeah. I never got out of here, they, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. All right. They, you know, they were around here, and they got involved with Kitty Meals based on Galaxy Rangers, hmm. and so naturally, I like spent the next month eating <laughs> to get all the toys and whatnot uh, because I'm just that shallow and uh, what uh, and I saved one of the placemats which had the, the Rangers on and everything and years later I meet him and I got him to autograph that so I'm, I'm very very uh, excited to have gotten that and I meet him in person so uh all right, so that was uh, yeah, and then, and then and then oh yeah, well of course the downside, the 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 dark underbelly of Hollywood is Steve Allen decided he wanted to bring in his own guy, and we got fired. No, me and somebody working on because he was going to do the rest of it, and then the show got canceled. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was on a year or two at, mo- at most, if, if if I remember. Not even yeah, finished out the year, and that was it. So yeah. whatever, whatever the jobs we lost, there wasn't. Yeah, you know, he just he just cut the pain a little quicker. 
I mean, uh, the other show I remember he did was Meeting of Minds, where he had his his wife, Jane Meadows, and other people dressed like historical figures. He might have written the theme yeah. song to that, so there we go. There's another song. Probably. But, anyway. but that was PBS, so that yeah. was high flute. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do shtick, you better you get Sirac- uh <laughs> You get Plato and... Uh, uh, the, Francis Bacon to do some shtick with, and then you then you know you got your highbrow audience, right? <laughs> um, but I, I I am more fond of the you know Tonight Show, Steve Allen. Yeah, show. yeah. And I never saw any of those originally, but I do have recordings and seen things. And you know, he did things that actually ended up in like Mad Magazine, like uh, the Answer Man and stuff like that. You know, and stuff like that. They, you know, it's like well, wow. <laughs> That's it. I mean, somebody hit something. Nothing he did was technically original. I'm not, not you know, like, you know, Carson Barr from Steve Allen, yeah. Letterman yeah, from Steve yeah. Allen, uh, John, Carson Barr from, they invented this, like, a character, and I guess now it's a little more sensitive with joke stealing and all, but back then, I mean, you go back to silent comedy. Oh, yeah. There are three different movies. Uh, one with Chaplin, one with Keaton, and I'm going to say Harry Langdon. Uh-huh. And there's a scene of a boat sinking. Yeah. Some huge thing, and they each carry it a different way. They make the gag their own, but they're each doing a gag. Yeah. Harry Langdon, long before City Lights, Harry Langdon did a movie that featured a blind woman. Yeah. So they're obviously all watching each other, and then they're sitting there going, well, how would I do yeah. that? The one I know is no, uh, the famous one that's always attributed to Chaplin with the bread rolls on the forks, you know, in the gold rush. And then, you know, you find out, that, oh, Fatty Arbuckle did that at least a decade before, you know. And, but, you know. but they worked together, so they were, you know, they did movies together. So yeah. obviously, they the, yeah. oh, well, you want, you want to go classic. You want to go, this is probably the longest running borrowed gag in the history of cinema, <laughs> the magic mirror. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I saw uh, Max uh, Leiter, Leitner, L I N D E R, and I know that I got off the top of my head. I can't remember people I worked for, but I can remember a dead silent comedian. <laughs> French silent movies. As far as anyone knew, and it was on TCM recently. He did the first instance of the mirror thing. Maybe he got it from somebody in Vaudeville. Yeah, don't know. He did it. <laughs> Then every comedian has done it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Marx Brothers, <laughs> Abbott Costello did it, right up into I Love Lucy and Harpo and the yep. TV thing. It's just a classic bet. You'll see variations on it. Yeah. And, and it's just a remarkable. But again, it's whose is it? Yeah. You know, yeah. Somebody captured <laughs> it. Abbott Costello routines were all like they they existed in the in the ether. Yeah. And you'd grab it and then you'd twist it and make it your own and they had another guy John Grant who would like tailor it to them specifically yeah I mean you look you look at early uh, what's another oh, the one bit where they both do it I'm in movies so Curly yeah. and Lucas Bello yeah the, the clam the one the clam one the soup yeah, yeah, yeah it squirts them in the face and everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> And supposedly, like, oh, Mo, supposedly Mo got mad that uh, Costello was stealing their material, but I don't know how true that is. You know, it's like they all borrowed from everybody. Everybody did Niagara yeah. Falls. You know, everybody yeah. did these jokes. Yeah. So it's like it was just vaudeville shtick or whatever shtick. You know. <laughs> 
And it was it, it was there, and it's what what you what you could do with it, how you sell it, how you twist it. Yeah. Uh, what was the thing? Oh, I just I saw it for the first time. I'd never seen this before. I know Curly would claim. I, I read that Curly claimed that Luke Costello kind of ripped him off. Certain yeah. mannerisms and the voice inflections and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I saw for the first time the Ritz Brothers movies again. A TCM. They did a night of Ritz Brothers, <laughs> and the Ritz, the youngest one, Harry Ritz was so very much the, the, com- the comedic, the most comedic of the three. The other two, it was on the on the scale of comedy, the Rich Brothers are more Three Stooges than Marx Brothers. Yeah. But Harry, Harry Ritz, you would say, he's, I don't know if he's doing Curly or Curly, because again, they, they were going back to nightclubs in Vaudeville, so was Curly ripping him off? Was he ripping off Curly? <laughs> again, mannerisms, voice inflection, doing the high-pitched voice. It was just, you know, it was just one big soup, Vaudeville, and they all came out with the very similar ingredients. The DNA was there. It was just right. how you mutated your own style. Yeah. And we're going to stop it right there. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Dan Fiorella, for being my special guest. Episode number eight will be coming soon with part two of this interview with Dan Fiorella. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a Patreon of Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2018 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much and have a good night.